Matthew chapter 22. What we did in the last hour, uh, we sort of unpacked the doctrinal implications of this of this chapter. We're not going to uh, have time to do all of that. There's an application here, but there's a interpretation. There's only one terp- one interpretation of any passage of scriptures. Many applications, but there's one only one interpretation. Uh, if you get into Matthew 22, it is a very interesting parable. Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here uh, to them in parables according to verse number one, and I'll read verse number one through. Verse number 14. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers, And burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you find, ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in thither, and not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called... If you are chosen, you pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to stand before uh, these people today at this time today. I pray you bless your people today. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to look at this very interesting passage of Scripture. And the few minutes that we have together, Lord, may it make sense. May the Holy Spirit of God illuminate our understanding of these words. I pray that, Lord, you would help me to stay out of the way. I pray you put in the words that uh, need to be said today. Anything that you would not once said, may, Lord, I not say those things. And guide us the truth. Open hearts to the gospel. If there's one here this morning that's here that does not know where they're going to go, that they would get saved, they would get the right garment. And, Lord, I pray you guide us and help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. The question this morning out of this text is, are you dressed with the right garment? Are you dressed with the right garment? As I mentioned, there is only one interpretation to any uh, passage of Scripture, uh, but there's multiple applications. We took the interpretation of this in the last hour. We worked through that. And the context of the story is really spelled out in the second verse. And I'm just going to hit this real quick because, as you know, 
the Bible has a lot to say about what is coming in the future. And the world that we're in today is only showing, is a microcosm of what the Bible is predicting to come in the future. Uh, the volcano in St. Vincent Island and uh, the unrest right now in Ukraine and, and the, uh, the pandemic that we're in right now. All these are predicted in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, Mark 13, all the way through, really, the New Testament, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies of a return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the phrase here in verse number two sets what this interpretation is. In verse number two, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. Now, I'm not going to give you the major players here, but the kingdom of heaven is mentioned here. This is a parable about a kingdom. Okay, now, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned in the book of Matthew. Uh, it is different, by the way, than the kingdom of God. Okay, very different. Uh, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, why is it different? Because they're two different words. One is heaven, one is God. And the kingdom of heaven, as we know, is a, is a physical, a literal kingdom. Contrasting that with a, an invisible kingdom, which would be referenced as the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to confuse you, but I'm trying to get you to understand a little bit that when we're dealing with the kingdom of heaven, we're dealing with something that's coming in the future. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying for the physical, literal kingdom to come. It's different than the kingdom of God. In fact, if you want to, you can note on the side of your Bible there or turn there. In Luke chapter 17, there in verse number 20, it says this. And when, he had, when they, this is the Pharisees, demanded of, uh, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, here's the question they wanted to know, when the kingdom of God should come. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ answered that question. They wanted to know, hey, when's the kingdom of God coming? Here's the Lord's question answer to that question. He said this. He answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. What does that mean? You can't see it. Can't see it. So the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is something that's visible. You'll be able to see it. Now this morning, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, you have someone living inside of you more than yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and verse 20 says this. What know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you're owned. If you're saved, you're owned. Your spirit and your body is owned by God. You're not your own. Amen? You're, the Bible says you're bought with a price. So it's a very interesting, different economy today than it was in the Old Testament. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit would come, he would dwell, he would come, and he would leave. He would come upon Paul, uh, rather he'd come upon Saul, he came upon Samson, he came upon Jonathan, he came upon David. It was a powerful movement of God when God came down, but he would come back. Joel's prophecy, Old Testament, predicted there would be an outpouring of the Spirit. And that was fulfilled... Uh, 50 days after the resurrection, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the, in the upper room, the disciples uh, were in, empowered with the Holy Spirit of God. And after that, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. Different economy now. We have the Holy Spirit now 
living. So when someone comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit lives and abides in them. And John chapter 6 talks about the spirit of truth, talks about the Holy Spirit guiding you to all truth. That's why the Holy Spirit is called a comforter. He speaks of uh, one that will uh, be in agreement with the word of God. So the Holy Spirit is never going to guide you away from the word of God. Okay. Now watch this. As the Holy Spirit is living in us, this is a invisible spirit. We can't see him. You cannot see the Holy Spirit inside of me. I can't see the Holy Spirit inside of me. It's not with observation. It came, but it came without observation. Now, it's referenced as wind in the Bible, by the way. And I can't see the wind. I mean, I can see the effects of wind. If you look outside on a windy day, you see the leaves and the flags and the things blowing uh, in, the, in the, the effects of the wind. And that's evidence of wind, but you can't see the wind. The Holy Spirit's uh, compared to wind. Are you all with me this morning? And so when we, when we start working through this passage of Scripture, we're dealing with an event that is coming in the future, the kingdom of heaven. It is a physical, literal kingdom that is going to be here on earth. And it will be here for 1,000 years. This is where eschatological studies are in the Bible shows you future events and things that are coming to this world, things that are going to happen. One of those most amazing things is the kingdom of heaven. So this is an interesting passage because the interpretation is God is this king. Verse number two is like unto a certain what? King. Okay, so if you want to put persons in here, you have God being the king and you can probably guess who the son is. Okay, God, the son, the Lord Jesus Christ is the son in the passage. There's a wet marriage, a reference to a marriage or a wedding here in this passage. Ephesians chapter five talks about the relationship that the church has with Jesus Christ. We're espoused to him. We're engaged to him. We have some, uh, we have one, I think, uh, uh, engaged here, our church right now. And, uh, and she was walking around, uh, Gabriella was walking around with that ring a couple weeks ago, still walking around with that ring today. And she's in, engaged now to Andrew. And, uh, and so what a blessing. We're going to be marrying them. We have another couple that is engaged in, in this church. And so what Michaela and Chuck. And so we, as God's people, listen, as God's people, we ought to be excited about the marriage between Jesus Christ and the church. Okay, it's coming one day. We are espoused to him. We're engaged to him. We're looking forward to his return. He's going to take us to his house. Amen? But that's the wedding. And then there's, of course, the reference here to possibly the battle of Armageddon in verse number 7. And I'm not going to actually unpack all this, but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. Why was he angry? Why was this king upset? Why was the king angry? Because the servants went out and said, hey, come, come to the marriage. Come to this ceremony. They said, no, we're not coming. They made, the Bible says, light of it. And they slew or they killed the prophets. They killed the messengers. That's an interesting thought. Listen, anytime you want to tell truth to someone, you got to take the, you got to take the hits. Amen. Truth always hurts. But truth is truth. Truth will never change. I can take truth and put it in any, any part of civilization. And it always is true. And Jesus, the Apostle Paul says, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? Truth is okay. Truth is wonderful. We need truth. I, listen, if I, if I got cancer, I want the doctor to tell me the truth. If you can get it out, get it out. Truth is powerful. So you find here that this is showing that these prophets, these ones that were invited, these Guests to come in, they were killed. So he comes with anger, verse number seven. When the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies 
and destroyed those murderers and burned up their what? Are you all with me this morning? You got to see it. That's what the, the Bible says. Their city. A personal pronoun to a specific city. Okay, A.D. 70, I'm not going to ask you to turn and and, and learn all this, but in A.D. 70, uh, Titus of Rome came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, predicted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that could be one stone left upon another. When Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70, they extracted the gold out of the city. They burnt Herod's temple. They destroyed the city. There was not one stone. They literally pried the stones apart to try to get all the gold that was melting in the city, in the temple, to take it back to Rome. They destroyed, they pillaged, they murdered those in that city. A fulfilled prophecy out of this particular parable. As you look at this, that is the interpretation of this. That there's a king, his son has been rejected, and he went in anger to destroy those that murdered, if you would, those servants that bid those to come to the wedding. Then he sends out more servants to come. And this is where we come in. Yeah. Amen? We're Gentiles. Uh, we're not Jewish people. We're Gentiles. And so we were able to come into this. So that's the, that's the application but the, uh, or the interpretation. But the application is powerful. Uh, this man is cast out, as, as you look at here, uh, there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's an application of Israel rejecting Jesus as Messiah. He turns to the Gentiles, and it begins to work largely with the Gentiles. Now, as you know this, you know this. For the last 2,000 years, the primary work, uh, spiritual work, biblical work that's being done worldwide is being done through Gentiles. Gentiles. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen was the first of a couple of deacons. and they, they weren't called deacons, but they were servants there in the book of Acts, helping to serve tables, helping to, uh, to, uh, to minister to folks. Well, Stephen, according to Acts chapter 7, preached his first recorded message, word of God. And the Bible says they stopped their ears, they ran on him and gnashed on him with their teeth, and then they stoned Stephen with a, with, and killed him. And it's interesting, as Stephen's being stoned, he looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Okay, that's Acts chapter 7. They, now watch this. Big picture here. It is very likely at that very moment the kingdom was going to come. The kingdom was going to be offered right there to the Jewish uh, people, standing, ready to come in. They rejected the message of the gospel, the message of Messiah, and then Acts chapter number 8 comes, they are scattered, the disciples, the apostles. Now, they're scattered everywhere, but they're not running to their bunkers. They're not running to their food storage. They're going, and the Bible says they're preaching Christ everywhere. Amen. So they're just going out, and they're preaching, and they're sh- sharing Christ. And then you find a work in Samaria takes place. People get saved there. And then you'll find in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, who was the terror of the church, he was a terrorist, he gets saved on the road to Damascus, and then they try to kill him in Acts chapter 9 for preaching Christ. And it's not by accident that Acts chapter 10 comes along, and Cornelius, the first Gentile, gets saved. Amen? And the first, if you would, missions-minded church is established in the city of Antioch, and Paul was sent out of that church three different times, establishing a pattern for what we do today, sending missionaries all around the world. Are you all with me this morning? So the story is very, it's a big picture. Act, uh, Matthew 22 is a big picture. The servant comes, 
Uh, they try to bring uh, those that are bidden, come to the wedding, uh, well, come to your Messiah. The king has sent his son. You need to come. They made light of it. They went to the farms, went to the merchandise. We don't want him. And they kill the messengers. And then we find wrath. Now, there will be a time in the future and this reference to this wedding that is going to come. Fast forward this story to the book of Revelation. If you would turn there. Last book of the Bible. How many doing okay? Okay. Revelation chapter number 19. Last book of the Bible. Revelation 19. Pick it up if you would in verse number 7. Revelation 19, 7. You're doing great. Now watch this. There will be a time of celebration. Can I say this? There is a wedding coming. There is a ceremony coming in heaven. There is something that's going to be magnificent that we're going to be able to partake and be a participant in this wedding. And we're going to be marrying some folks here in the next couple of months, maybe. And it's always a highlight of the service when we come in with the groom, usually from that door, initiating the service, initiating the beginning of the service. And I'll usually walk in and I'll stand here. And the very nervous groom will stand right here as Josh was there a couple of weeks ago or months ago. And, uh, and Ryan and others sat right here, nervous, scared. And then all the family's here and the friends are here. And we're all excited. The music's playing. All the bridesmaids come in. In, all the groomsmen come in, they take their place, and everything is up here, and then everything stops. And then the wedding march, or a song, or some music is played, and the doors open, and there's the bride, dressed, ready to come down to the... And I've, I've not seen one man not get a little emotional. It's just an awesome sight. Because it's bigger than just a physical union between a husband and a wife. It is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ's relationship to his spouse, bride, the church. And there's going to be a wedding or a ceremony in heaven. That's where Revelation 19 takes you. Watch what it says in verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. That's the, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself what? Okay, so we have the marriage of the lamb. Jesus is the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. Watch this. He is the lamb. It's the marriage of the lamb. His wife is the church. And there's going to be a marriage. Now watch what it says in 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, now, if you watch here, there's a garment. There's something that she is wearing that she should be arrayed or covered in this particular garment. And his reference here is fine linen, clean and white. Now, watch this. We're not dealing with something physical here. We're not something, dealing with something you go to Saks Fifth Avenue down in New York and pick up off a discounted shelf. This is not something you can. This is spiritual. This is a robe. I'm going to unpack this. Stay with me. And here's why, because in verse number eight, last part, for the fine linen is the what? Righteousness of the saints. So we're finding out what this linen is. We're finding out what this particular garment is. It is referenced as the righteousness of the saints. And he says in verse number nine, he saith unto me, right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb. And he saith unto them, uh, unto me, right, uh, rather, these are true, are the true sayings of God. Now, there's been a bunch of preaching on this passage. I love this passage. of. I mean, I love any preaching on the marriage supper of the lamb because it takes you to that setting. Number one, I like it because it's a supper. Amen. 
And in heaven, they call it supper. Amen? That's what it says there. So I don't know what we eat in heaven. Probably fish, cheesesteaks. All right? But we eat. Jesus ate fish in his glorified body. So praise God, when we get to heaven, we get to eat. All right? But beyond the fact that we're going to have a supper, it is the marriage supper of the lamb. The lamb. It's his supper. And we're getting to be a part of it, but we are in reference here as being arrayed in fine linen. So it's very noteworthy to say, at least, there's not a lot said about this supper except that passage right there. But it tells us in verse 8 that people involved in this heavenly celebration will all be dressed in these garments, white and clean. And their reference as being the righteousness of the saints. So, the same verse, of course, as you're seeing this, is unpacking what this really means. So, can I say it this way? The fact that if you're saved by the grace of God, you're going to have a reunion in heaven with the other saints of God. That's why when we go to a funeral, we go to John chapter 14. It says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, Jesus says, I, there ye shall be also. There's a reunion in heaven. Are you with me this morning? And so we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be in yonder. We're going to be singing. And we're all going to be dressed in this white, fine linen. So it seems to me that that garment is of utmost importance. In other words, I I can't make light of that garment. I mean, I just can't. I can't look over the verses and say, oh, it's just a pretty cool little garment in heaven. No, no. We should not take lightly this garment. So without this garment, according to Matthew 22, there's no entrance into this heaven. And and in other words, this is a spiritual garment, and without it, there's going to be grave consequences, eternal damnation in hell. But with it is eternal life in heaven. And so you're just not going to go to heaven because you want to go to heaven. You're not just going to go to heaven because you're religious. You're just not going to go to heaven because you think, uh, you know, God is so much love that he's just going to forgive you. Uh, and you're all going to go because God loves everyone. And he does. But there is a very specific garment that is needed to go to heaven. Why? Because God is just. God is holy. And think about this, ladies and gentlemen. We are, we are understanding. We're living in time right now. And eternity is coming rather quickly. Your physical life will not last forever. You will not get out alive unless the rapture takes place before I finish the sentence. We have a death sentence, if you would. And to be absolutely certain that you're going to have the right garment is of utmost importance that you can have that garment and be at that ceremony when you get to heaven. So here's the question. Are you dressed with the right garment? Because in verse 11 of our text, Matthew 22, it says this. And I'm not going to open all this. There was a man that had the wrong garment. In fact, it says here, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. So he had the wrong garment on. So I I want you to listen and I want you to just to, to think about this for a second. 
that when we look at this passage of Scripture, we understand the interpretation, but the application today is that we cannot go to heaven without the right garment. Look at verse number 9, back in Matthew 22, and we'll move through this rather quickly because of time. Verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, and bid to the marriage... So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together, watch this next word, all. As many as they found both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Now I want you to note real quick here that the wedding garment is available to all. <laughs> Praise God for that. There's enough garments to go around. Amen. Because the word all is all. And that's all. All means, okay? So there's enough garments to go around. It, it, is, it is available to all. And so the king's servants, they went to the highways, indicating that there is a lot of people. It is a broad way. And he wasn't concerned about their character. Because he says good and bad. He wasn't concerned about their past. And praise God for that. And some of us have some pretty rough past, the things that we have done. He wasn't concerned about the past. He really wasn't concerned about their social standing. These were the outcasts. These were the poor. These perhaps were the lame. These were the wealthy. He wasn't concerned about their social standing. He wasn't really concerned about their abilities. There's nothing in the passage that shows any of that being a concern to the king. He wasn't concerned about their popularity or any other consideration. He wanted whosoever would come to the wedding just come. You're invited to come. So this is a picture of what the Lord has done for us in the plan of salvation. When Jesus formulated the plan of salvation for man to be saved, he prepared, not us, he, God, prepared a way to open to all men from all walks of life all around the world to come into the wedding. It's God's plan. Whosoever, the Bible says, will, may come. All right. Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God for that. So it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, your past, your present condition, your social status, your education, your gifts, your abilities. All of those are not qualifications to get the garment. Anyone can come. In fact, Revelation 22, the Bible says, let him that is a thirst Come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You don't pay for this water. You don't pay for this garment. It's already been paid. So, this garment that you need is available. And it's by invitation. And that's all. Everyone's invited. And I love that. The king is sending out servants and it pictures salvation. I want to say this real quick here, that here lies a pretty dangerous point here because there are people that hear the gospel, they hear how to be saved, and they say to themselves and to God, I'll do it some other time. I'll get saved down the road. I'll put it off. And the Holy Spirit is guiding and helping and working in their hearts, showing them their need of a garment, showing them their need of salvation. And they say, I don't need that, man. I'll do that some other time. And it's a very dangerous thing that when you're invited through the Holy Spirit of God to come and enter into a covenant that God made with man 2,000 years ago, it's a very dangerous thing to walk away from that and say no. Very dangerous. And God promised one day that he is going to deal with all men. 
In fact, John 1, it says the same came for a witness to bear witness of that light and that all men through him might believe that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's why we sing this song, there, there comes a ring or the restless wave. Send the light. Send the light. We have heard the Macedonia call today. Send the light. Send the light. And a golden offering of the cost we used to lay. Let us pray that grace everywhere may abound. Send the light. Let us not grow weary in the work of love. Send the light. Why? Because the light is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can provide light. However, he has not promised to call you repeatedly. My spirit shall not always strive with flesh. There is a deadline. There's a time that you can say, I'm done. I want nothing to do with this gospel, with this Christ, with this God. I'm religious enough. I don't need salvation. I don't need his garment. You could say that. But there is availability of the garment. Number two, real quick. There must be an acceptance of the garment. It's a two-way street. You're invited, but you have to accept the garment. In fact, it says in verse number 10 of our text, Watch what it says. And those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all. As many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with what? Interesting, isn't it? It was common in these weddings to be, uh, especially in wealthy weddings, to provide each guest with a white wedding garment. And so they would be basically coming into the ceremony in ancient weddings with the same garment. They would all look the same, so to speak. It was a picture of salvation. It's amazing, isn't it? When you get saved, when you accept Christ, there's something given to you that you can't get yourself. Okay, so how do I go to heaven? Well, you got to be perfect. And you can't be. Okay, let me say it this way. You got to be righteous. And you can't be. I'm trying trying to help you understand. It is not by your works. That bring you to heaven. Let me unpack this for a little bit. There is a garment. And the garment is freely given. But it must be freely received. What is this garment? Hold this thought here. Go to the Old Testament. Let me show you a little very interesting Old Testament verse here on this. Isaiah. How about that one? Isaiah chapter 61. You're doing great. (laughs) Isaiah 61. All right. Look at verse number 10. Watch what Isaiah is writing here. A reference to this garment. Watch what it says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of what? Wow. There's a garment of salvation being saved. Salvation. Then it says, he hath covered me with the robe of what? Righteousness. And then it has a reference to a a wedding ceremony. And the bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with what? Jewels. So Isaiah's reference here is that there is a garment and it notes here of salvation that is able to cover. And it notes here as a robe of righteousness. Are you all here this morning? 
Now, now stay with me. This is so important you get this. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, hang a right there. Go through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, and you'll run into the Corinthians. They're a rough group, but you can get to them. Chapter 5. Watch what it says in verse 20. Now when, now, now the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Catch up with me if you would. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We beseech, we pray you in Christ's stead to be, look at this word here, reconciled to God. Reconciled or reconciliation is the act by which you take two opposing parties, watch this, and get them, if you would, to agree. Okay? You restore two opposing parties. When you get saved, reconciliation has taken place. As I think Ryan mentioned, enemies of the cross, enemies of Jesus Christ, all men, when you're born, you're born an enemy of God. Well, I never lifted up a sword against him. The, the Bible is very clear in Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Therefore, death passed upon all men, for all have sin. Okay, you're a sinner. And you've got you to you get help. And so that's why there needs to be reconciliation. Look in verse 21. For he, Christ, hath made him, and rather, for he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be, look at this word here, made. Made. The righteousness of God in him. So, pastor, how do you go to heaven? Well, you need righteousness. But you can't be righteous enough to get to heaven. You need to be good. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. You need righteousness, but it can't be yours. You need his. The Lord Jesus Christ provides the righteousness that you need. And the righteousness that you are given by him was given to you freely. You don't pay for that robe. The Apostle Paul says that he makes a very clear indication here that we might be made the righteousness of God. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ who died for all men's sin, past, present, and future, atoned, atonement, dying for, in the place of, Okay, for everyone's sin, he became sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin, but he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. So here's what he does. He dies for our sin. So he takes all of our sin, past, present, and future, that is uh, a part of us, removes it, puts it on himself, takes his robe of righteousness and clothes us and covers us from the sin and this filth and what we are. So we do not have a judicial, listen, we are not judicially going to be punished for our sin. God does, does that. That's, what the, that's the imputed righteousness, doctrine of imputed righteousness, whereas imputed is given to you. Well, how do I get that? I'm glad you asked. In Philippians, here's what it says. And the Apostle Paul writing here, and being and be found in him, verse 9, not having mine own righteousness. Paul said, I don't need my own righteousness. By the way, Paul was a Pharisee before he got saved. A self-righteous Pharisee. He said, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, 
but that which is through faith of Christ. How do I get that? Watch this. Through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So watch this. This act of faith where you believe Jesus to be who he said he was, you believe you to be what Jesus says you are as a sinner. Remember, Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you're righteous, why would you need Jesus? He came to call sinners. But if you're a sinner, you're called. Watch this. Which all of us are sinners. And then watch this. He comes and gives you what you need. And it's through faith. And that not, that's why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved. Amen. Not through grace and works. Not through grace. And, and you got to see it in Ephesians 2, 8. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting it to you. For by grace are ye saved through faith. So it's nothing in addition to that faith that saves you. No, listen, nothing. It's faith and faith alone that saves you. Salvation is only obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. Not works, not church membership, not baptism. Nothing added to salvation to Jesus Christ can get you to heaven. The only way to get that robe of righteousness is through faith, plus absolutely nothing. And then, because verse 8, same verse, it says, And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Bruce, come on up here. I'm going to use you as an example. Can I have you come up? We, we try to explain it this way. The Bible uses the word gift several times to describe, just right, right there, Bruce, several times to show that salvation is not something you pay for. You don't go to church to pay for salvation. You don't take sacraments. Sacraments are a means of grace. If you look up the word, the word sacraments not in the Bible. It's added to the Bible, but they're what they're meaning, a means of grace. You're obtaining grace through sacraments. Sacraments are not in the Bible, but the word gift is in the Bible and salvation is a gift of God. So watch this. If I want to give Bruce this Bible, I got to freely give it to him, right? And he can take it freely out of my hand. Now, whose possession is the Bible in? Bruce's. Now, if I said to Bruce, Bruce, uh, I want to give you the Bible, but can you give me about 20 bucks for it? it is no, I, I just took the integrity of the gift away. It is now being paid for. So when you see the word gift in the Bible, it is something, as the Bible declares, that is freely given. You don't pay for salvation. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you so much. And so that's why not of works, the Bible says, lest any man should boast. In Romans chapter 3, verse 28, I know I'm giving you a lot, but you you study this. Watch this. Therefore, we conclude, the Apostle Paul writing here to the Romans. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. By faith and faith only. Well, what what about baptism? What about baptism? Because the Bible says you have to be baptized. Good question. If you would, go to the book of Acts with me real quick, and we'll just unpack a couple of verses here and send you home. Acts 2. All right. And get, get your finger there and go to John chapter 3. I know we're almost finished. I know we're just... 
I hope your roast doesn't burn, all right? <laughs> well, just stay with me, okay? John 3 and Acts chapter 2. You all there? Get those two. Once you get them, you get two fingers, just put them in there and, all right? In John chapter 3 and verse 16, what's the first word there? For. Okay, I'll stop there for a second. The word for is a, it's a preposition. It can be used as a conjunction. It could mean in order to, or it could mean because of. Are you all here? Simple. So when you look at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, so the word for, would it mean because of or in order to? In other words, in order for God to love the world, he gave his only begotten son. No. Because God loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You see that? It's a preposition, but it's also a possible conjunction. Now go to Acts chapter 2. All right, Acts chapter 2. You're doing great. Isn't it good to use our Bibles? Listen, when you're dealing with salvation and you're going to, be at, you're going to have to have a garment, you, you better know what garment you're getting. You ever get home and find out that, 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 that's, that wasn't the right garment? I, I, it doesn't fit right. Or there's a big hole in the back. Or there's a big stain. All right. I don't know why. I, that was free. <laughs> it came in. Look at verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be what? All right. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, there's that word there, for the remission of sin or sins. In order to or because of. If it's in order to, then you have to be baptized to go to heaven. But if it's because of, then you're getting saved because you're getting baptized because you got saved. You know, with not in order to be saved. So when we lift these verses, and if you would take these, these conjunctions and build doctrines off of them that are not consistent with other portions of Scripture, for example, there are two thieves on the cross, one on the left and one on the right. The Bible tells us there's one salvation or one faith, one God, one baptism. There's no two salvations. There's no two ways to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So here, watch this. Two thieves on the cross. They're not going to go to church. They're going to die. They're being crucified. And they're both railing on him, cursing him. And one gets wise and says, hey, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. I know you're a king. I know you're going somewhere. And it's going to be to your king. If you get there, would you just remember me? Listen, Jesus turns to him and says, today thou shalt be with me in Paradise. That is eternal security given to a man that will never go to church. He will never be baptized. He will never do one work ever in this life. Now, either God or Jesus Christ lied or he told him, absolutely true. You're going to be with me in paradise. What did he do? He believed. Faith, watch this. Faith and faith alone gives you the robe of righteousness. Not faith plus baptism. Not faith plus works. Not faith plus church membership. Mark 16 says this, and if you want to go there, you can. Mark 16 says this, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, there it is, pastor. You got to be baptized. I'll read it again. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 
but they never read the rest of the verse. Because the rest of the verse will define what the first part of the verse means. Here's what it says. But, conjunction, he that believeth not shall be damned. It's the lack of belief that causes you damnation. It does not say this, he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. Are you all here? So I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that salvation is totally free. There's nothing beyond salvation. We are going to baptize today, but it's not for salvation. It is because of salvation. They are going to identify themselves as a child of God. They're going to be buried in symbolism uh, under the water. They're going to be raised in the likeness of, of a newness of man. They're going to, if you would, just like a wedding ring that I wear to show that I love my wife. It doesn't make me more married to my wife. It doesn't make me love my wife anymore. It just shows I'm married. And I love her. And that's what baptism symbolizes. It's totally free. And, uh, and I'll, I'll close with this. Jesus comes and tells this parable. And he tells about the king. Looks, by the way, when the king looks out at this, this wedding, he sees one. Now, this, this, this is a showdown. He comes up to this one. In fact, he saw there a man which had not the wedding garment. Matthew twenty two eleven. Now, the king is not going to let this go. He's not going to let it go. Why? Because he's just. He saith unto him, verse 12, Friend, how comest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And this phrase here is so haunting because he couldn't say a thing. He was speechless. There's no excuse. There's nothing he could say. There's no words to be able to appease this just king. He didn't have the garment on. And yet the garment was freely open to have. To come to the wedding. I'll clothe you with the garment. It'll change who you are. But the absence of the garment will create a showdown. No words can defend. No defense was given. No defense. Nothing to say. No excuses. No apologies. He was speechless. In the very next verse, he was taken out and thrown into outer darkness. You want to get real heavy on this, you go to Matthew 7. You can study that later. Matthew 7, about religious people that are ones that have cast out demons, They've done many wonderful works. And Jesus will profess unto them, I never knew you. You work, workers of iniquity. Powerful, isn't it? So here's my question to you. Do you have the right garment? The garment is only given to you through Jesus Christ by your faith in him and him alone, not anything else. And he gives you a robe of righteousness that covers you, presents you as if you've never sinned. Wow. That's, that's the doctrine of justification. Just as if you've never sinned. It'd be one thing just to forgive you. Okay, don't do it again. But it's another thing to expunge your record that you're not a sinner. You're declared righteous because of my son's blood. That's right. Wow. Wow. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Yeah. And so if you're here this morning, say, Pastor, here's, 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 here's the deal. 
I am religious. I do good works. I try to live by the golden rule. But if you were to ask me this morning if I'm 100% that I'm, if I'm going to heaven, I don't really know. I hope I am. And yet you can have 100% assurance today before you leave here that you are a child of the living God. Amen. And that he has given you the righteousness through your faith in him that you desperately need to present you as if you've never sinned before a holy God. Uh, Lord, I, I, uh, I, I'm a bad person. I've, I've, I'm a thief. I've, I've done some bad things. But listen, I know you're a king, and we deserve this. Him and I deserve this. And um, I'm going to die today. I'm being crucified for my crimes. And I, but I know you've done nothing, nothing wrong. When you get there, just remember me. Simple faith. Simple faith. Today. You know, what's interesting is that when Jesus was crucified, the uh, Passover was approaching, and they, they had to get the three people off the cross. They had to get the thieves down. So they had to come over to the, to the legs of the thief and the Jesus and try to break them because crucifixion is by suffocation. You literally push off of your nailed pin feet to a cross to get another lungful of air. It's excruciating death. It literally lasts for days. Got to get them off the cross. Break their legs. Break the legs. They can't push off. They suffocate. So they break the legs of the two thieves. They came to the Lord Jesus Christ to break his legs, and the Bible prophesied that his bones will not be broken. He was already gone, already dead. His body was. I don't know what this thief is thinking, but if I were him, break the legs. <laughs> I'm going to go home to my king. <laughs> break the legs, because <laughs> in just a few moments, I'm going to go to his kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, watch this. Don't, go to, don't, go, don't leave this world with a, a, a religious patch, a baptism patch, and a good works patch, and a church membership patch, and a choir patch. They're patches. For salvation, it's a full robe of righteousness. And he covers everything. But it's only given to you in exchange by your faith and belief in him.